And so I'm just excited to be in the house of God. Welcome for those who are here for the first time. I'm uh, Pastor Terrence Taylor. I get the privilege of pastoring the New Movement Church on the east side of Pasco. And I'm excited about what we're doing today and what God is doing. Um, you know, today is a special day because we are kicking off something new at our church that we have not We've never done before, and this is a brand new thing. Today, on no, put this in your calendar if you need to. Every third week of the month, every third weekend of the month, I should say weekend, not week, because you might think this is going to happen every day. No, on Sabbath afternoons, after church, every third week of the month is family dinner. Now, I want to break this down. We can get excited. We break down what family dinner is. Now, I grew up going to church, and, and so what would happen was after church, now I went to a black church, and that church was, was long, let me tell you. Started at 11, it was done maybe about 2.30. Anybody would, grew up in a church like that? Yeah, okay. So as a kid, my stomach would be growling and hungry and hurting, and we would always either be invited or go to someone's house for dinner after church. Anybody remember those days? And I was a kid, and I remember being in the house and smelling all this good food and being impatient and being upset and being starving. But I remember those moments because I remember the conversations I heard. I remember the men would be talking about one thing and the ladies would be talking about another thing and there were kids running around. And it was just a beautiful experience to be in the home. And I think that was a biblical thing that we spend time together. Today, I mean, you... You might see your family on Facebook and like it and whatever and move on, but we're trying to get back to that where we can spend time with each other. And so on the third weeks of the month, this is what it's not. It's not potluck. Does anybody know what potluck is? Okay. I'll put it like this. Potluck is risky. I'm just being honest with you because everybody brings something and it's beautiful for everybody to bring something. It's just that I don't want 15 different versions of macaroni and cheese, okay? I, my stomach can't handle, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, Captain Crunch and gravy and stuff on my baked potato. I can't, I can't do that. So what we have, the way we're going to do is that a different individuals have picked a room in the church and they have brought dinner. So there's going to be, I think, three today, family dinners in different rooms and I want to tell you, first of all, if you are here for the first time and you have time to stay at the church, you are invited. And I'm going to tell you something. Your boy hooked something up. I'm just not talking about it. I'm just not making my wife do it. Now, if you now you might think it's a risk, but a brother can put a, my, my brother is a world-class chef. Let's just put it like that. So I learned a few things along the way. So I'm actually inviting you to family dinner that I have prepared for you. I prepared a meal for you, just for you. And my meal, don't be scared by this, is vegan. It's vegan. So in case you're vegan, like, I'm vegan. Perfect. I got a vegan dish. Now, there's other people in the church that have cooked, uh, have prepared a meal. And so right at the church, right out in the hallway, just hang around. Somebody's going to grab you and pull you into their dinner. So I just pray that you would do that. And look, we want to open this up for anyone in our church who wants to host a family dinner. It's the third week of the month. It's 12 times a year. You've got time to prepare. 
and I'll give you a list of what I need. I need some people that can that can speak some different languages. I need some dishes from your your cultural backgrounds. I, I want a little bit of everything. One of these days, I want to be invited to your family dinner. But at least for the next foreseeable future, we are going to provide uh, and be inviting people that we want to spend some time with. So I'm excited about that today. After church, we're going to have some family dinner. Does that sound good or not? Now, I built up my thing, so you are invited to mine. And if things go bad, we will Uber in some pizza or do something quick. If things go take a desperate downturn, we'll, 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 we'll cover it. Uh, we are in a series called Divine Interruption. And I've been enjoying preaching it, and uh, I've been listening to it. You know, I sometimes go back and listen to my messages just, just to hear what I was saying, because sometimes when you're preaching and you're sharing, you're just, you're just flowing. And I've been going back, listening in, and I've been seeing how God, as I've been praying about it, has been aligning some things to really what I want as a church. What I really want us as the church is to be people that are spiritually resilient. You know what resilient means? Resilient means that you can withstand, you can outlast, you can, you can carry on. And that's what this whole series is about divine interruption is about the times when God strategically on purpose he does it on purpose he he interrupts the world he interrupts our life he interrupts what's happening so that he can give us an opportunity to grow now, I don't know about you but I mentioned this last week that I had I can remember several different divine interruptions from my mother. They were in the forms of tenderizing my little black behind um, every now and again. They were, they were in a form of, of discipline like they used to do it back in the day. And, and that was for me as a rambunctious child who loved to get into stuff and as a teenager who loved to run my mouth at times when I shouldn't, my mother would remind me of who was in charge and there would be a divine interruption. Lord would use her to interrupt my behavior, sometimes not at my request, but definitely meeting my needs. The Lord heard her prayer. Sometimes there's no good repentance uh, before when you're about to get in trouble. Now, some of y'all are looking at me crazy. That was not your experience growing up. Uh, but some of us have been, have been, we have been touched by the master's hand. Let's just put it like that. And so uh, the potter wanted to put us back together again. And uh, he used our mothers and fathers to do that. And shape that clay. Okay, I'm ready to just keep going. So, so, <laughs> so God, here's the thing. Because the reason my, our parents did that for us, at least the reason they should have done it for us, is that they knew that we could not remain in the age we were for the rest of our life. That the behavior that we had or the decisions that we were making or the rhythm of our life would not be sustainable for adulthood. Now, I know sometimes you read the news and you see things where it's true. Adults are acting like children. They're screaming. They're pouting. They're forcing themselves to get their way, right? They're whining. They're complaining. But as the Bible says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, right? 
And now that I'm an adult, I need to speak like a spiritual adult. Another place the Bible talks about sometimes, or there's, there's a day that comes when you need to move beyond the milk, the things that are fundamental, the things that are elementary. You need to move from that and start working on some filet mignon, right? Start working on some, some grilled salmon because you can't drink milk forever. And here's the thing, like for me, I believe it's important as our church is beginning to, to really seek out those who are new to church. A lot of the sermons and a lot of what we do is going to be for people who are starting out. I don't want you to be ashamed or embarrassed for starting out with God. That's exactly where you should be. And so there is time for milk, right? And milk is good. But there's also some time that you will need to grow in your faith. You need to grow. And the purpose is just to be aware that you go from milk to baby food, right? And you go to those little snacks and you go forward and forward and forward in God. And what God knows is you the thing that he wants to bring you in his desired future for you, in his highest self for you, you need to be prepared for that. And that's going to require a different level of patience, a different level of perseverance, a different level of love. I am confused as I'm on the subject of my mother. I'm confused at what happened to her because when I had kids and my mom shifted to grandparent, she seemed to just throw all of these old things out the way. Sugar at any time of the day, TV all night, the word yes was flowing out of her mouth more frequently. And she probably realizes I will one day if I'm blessed to have grandchildren that that you need to increase your capacity to love, right? That things like love and patience and wisdom and spirituality, those things need to increase. Here's why. Because the longer you journey, the more trials you're going to get, right? The longer, the more you keep going forward in God, it's not going to get easier in some ways. In some ways, it does get easier, easier. but in other ways... It's going to get harder because you're going to be seeing the purpose that God has for you. It's just like when you start off with a sport and Pop Warner and you move up. By the time you get to a professional level, guess what? It's going to require more competition, more work. And God wants to continue to see you grow in him. And so I'm going to start and look at this verse that we've been looking at. It's James chapter uh, chapter one, and this is really the context for this series. And what we've been doing with the series is really unpacking this particular text. And then we've been looking at a book in the Bible, the book of Daniel. And what I love about Daniel, it's a prof- it has a lot of biblical prophecy, it has some deep storylines that run from Daniel all the way to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, really separated by thousands of years. It really shows that the Bible is God's book. It shows how these things are connected and where they pick up. But here's that main text. Let's just look at this again. And what I want to do is add a little more emphasis to one piece of this as we unpack this for the next couple weeks. And so here's the verse. Dear brothers, this is the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
you might have to advance that part for me. I'm trying to advance it here on my phone today, and it's not working as well. For you know that when your faith is, what's that word? Tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. In the last part, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Leave that one there. So the writer says you need to let your faith grow. What that means is you have to give yourself permission to grow. It sounds pretty simple, but have you ever met anybody who refuses to grow up? Let me say it this way. I'll get get all the ladies on this one. Have you ever met a man who refuses to change? See, you hear how, hear how loud that was? Yes. Somebody got real sweet. Yes. Real spiritual. Right? Because you have to give yourself permission to move to the next place that God's calling you to. And that's what's scary is because you're like, I've got so much hell going on now. Why should I pursue any further? But the reason is so that your endurance that's a good word. Your endurance is fully developed. Here's what one biblical writer talks about this verse in a commentary. He says, expressing that endurance is expressed and expressed growing determination in the faith of adversity based on hope. Is endurance, endurance expresses a growing determination. In other words, it may start like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to win. It may, it may start growing to, well, there's maybe a chance. Two, we got two seconds left and two timeouts. If you're a Seahawks fan, you know what endurance is. That's the fourth quarter. Coming back, endurance pressing through. Number three, Russell Wilson, right? The determination to say, in the face of adversity, something's growing. I'm going to keep building. Because the strength and the courage you had at the beginning may not be enough for the end of the journey. Can I say it another way? The romance and the time you spent at the beginning of the relationship is not going to be enough towards the end of the relationship. It's got to grow. Your faith, your courage, your strength, how much time you put in with God, it's got to change. Now, this text as we look at endurance, that's kind of what I wanted to focus in on. I want to take you to another text, and that's 1 Peter chapter uh, 4, two verses here. Another apostle talks about this same thing. He writes it this way, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials. He calls them fiery trials. He says these got a little heat to them. They got a little burn on these trials. These trials aren't something you can just let go. They're, they're fiery right? They, they catch one thing. Ever had a trial that started here and spilled over into everything else, right? It, it builds momentum. Fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Don't act like these trials are coming by accident. Instead, be very glad for these trials make your partners with Christ, that's us, in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed in all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, 
You will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. It's like this. God is putting you in the game because he's proud of you. He's giving you the fourth quarter down two points, free throws, down one point, free throw opportunity. He's giving that to you because he believes in you. And he knows that if you can endure this, you're going to be able to endure much more. Here's another word, uh, the way I like to describe endurance. It's the ability to outlast your trials. It's the ability to outlast the negative people at your job. It's the ability to outlast the dinner with family, with the cousin or the uncle that gets on your nerves. It's, it's having the peace and the mind that you can walk through a day and you can outlast it. I know one thing about me. I need Jesus every moment of the day. Anybody like that? I need Jesus, right? And there gets the point to where the longer I get closer to him, I don't need him less. It's just that I can outlast certain things, right? My faith tells me that the bigger the trial is, the greater the opportunity for God to show me a victory. That the more the trial comes, the more I realize, oh, this is something big. This, this must be something that God is preparing me for. If you were to look back at your life maybe a couple years ago, you would begin to make that connection to see that this thing I went through here in 2015 is actually preparing me for what I'm going through now. Can anybody testify to that? Like this, this experience I was going through, I didn't realize it, but it was preparing me for what God had for me next. That dude I broke up with in 2012, oh, this is the same dude. He just got a different name. And I see it now. I recognize that I am going to outlast him. And he's not going to be able to sustain the spiritual journey that I'm on. And so what we've been looking at is this question. I'm just going to put uh, the first question up, the part that, that we've been asking three questions in this series. But the main, the main point of this whole series is this, that divine interruption is God's way of calling us to our highest self. It's not to punish you. It's not to hurt you. It's not to break you down. It's there to build you up. And so God interrupts our life to say, wait a minute, you are not going towards the highest self. You are not going towards what I thought of when I made you. You are not going towards that direction. And it's not that God imposes his will upon you. He just interrupts you to keep you from going too far. And that's what I love about God. Because when you, what may look like a trial or a tragedy for some, it's an opportunity for the believer. It's an opportunity for us. What looks like a trial, we say to ourselves, no, that's an opportunity to continue to believe. That's an opportunity to continue to go forward. No, this is an opportunity for me to see what God has in mind for me. And so I want to take us down to the book, uh, Daniel chapter 3. That, uh, Daniel chapter, this should be showing Daniel chapter 3. Right here, Daniel chapter 3. We've been going through book by book. 
And now we're in Daniel chapter 3. And we've, if you're not familiar with the book of Daniel, it's just it's a story about a man who has been called really from birth, or really from his, a very young age, uh, to, to live in a place that was ungodly, live in a place that was completely different than what he was raised, and how God uses him and raises him up from stage to stage to stage. And it shows the backstory of God's relationship with those he's serving. And one of those individuals was King Nebuchadnezzar. And last sermon and last chapter, we looked at Daniel was used, him, him and three of his friends that came with him to live in this country, that God used them to interpret a dream that God had given this king. God had given this king a dream, and the dream was prophetic, meaning the implications, the meaning of the dream that went beyond the time that he was living in. It was a biblical prophecy, and God used Daniel because he was going to kill all of the people in his administration that could interpret dreams, and Daniel came through at the last minute. And in that dream, Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue, and what the statue represented was different kingdoms that was going to come after him, and at the end of it, there was a stone that came and broke the foot of the statue, and that statue was or that stone was Jesus himself. His kingdom was going to come and be established. And so the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had in his mind, it was telling him that his kingdom was going to end. It was telling him that you are not always going to be in charge. And for the believer, this actually this was a divine interruption, and for the believer it means that the kingdoms that we set up in our own hearts, that God will crush them in order to establish his kingdom in our own life. And so there is a rebuilding. There is a, re, uh, a, re, a re, yeah, rebuilding process that God takes us through to take us from the rubble and reconstruct us. But Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't see it this way. He heard the dream. He heard the interpretation of the dream. He felt relieved by knowing the meaning. And then he said, okay, I acknowledge the God of Daniel. What he tried to do was legislate it and say, all right, everybody needs to pay attention to Daniel's God. But in chapter 3, something went wrong. The interpretation of what he saw in the dream, something went the other direction. The Bible says King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 because in the dream the head of gold the different parts resembled him. That was his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar says I'm going to make a statue of all gold. 90 feet tall. 9 feet wide. Set up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, the officials, the governors, the advertisers, sorry, the advisors, advertisers, probably them too, treasurers, judges, magistrates, his whole presidential cabinet, all of the providential, all the Senate, everybody, providential, uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Are you seeing this visually? Then a herald shouted out, 
People of all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. Because this, this was a takeover nation. This nation of Babylon had taken over other countries. They were all under Nebuchadnezzar's leadership and authority. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lie, the harps, the bands, the pipes, it's like when you hear my band and other musical instruments, Bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Now, let's stop right there. This is about loyalty. This is an act of loyalty to the king's administration. He says, I want everybody to come to my dedication of my statue that I have assembled. And he goes so far as to be culturally competent, right? He's got everything translated in everyone's language. He's, he, he, he said, I'm calling everyone. I'm, not, I'm going to make sure everyone has access to this. You're going to come, and we are going to do this dedication service to this statue that I have written. Now, obviously, it wasn't him that actually built it, right? He wouldn't personally do it. But he had it made, and we don't know exactly what the statue resembled, but most people can imagine that the statue was a statue of him. He says, I want everyone to come. When you hear the music, when it cues up, I want everybody to bow down and worship the image. And then he adds just a little more information just to make sure that everyone's clear about the process. Verse 6. Oh, and uh, by the way, if anyone refuses to obey immediately, they will be thrown into a blazing furnace. A little passive-aggressive for King Nebuchadnezzar, right? I want everybody to show up and bow. And by the way, uh, if you look off to your left, restrooms are on your right. Uh, the food and the ceremony will be afterwards in the back. You'll see the trumpeters and the flags going that way. And if you look off to your left, you'll see a hot, fiery furnace. Yeah, that's not for wood-fired pizza. We're not doing that today. That's actually for anyone who decides to disobey me. Have a good time. He's forcing people to do it. Can you imagine getting a report that is forcing you to worship a God that you don't believe in? Can you imagine getting a flash, a news flash on your phone saying, it, you are now taking time to worship a false god. I need you to do that or there are going to be consequences. Can you imagine that? You don't have to imagine it because it happens every day. It happens every single day. There is always an agenda. There is always something. The forces of evil that want you to do what's against the god you serve. But not everybody was willing. Verse 6 and 7, or, or actually going here to verse uh, uh, we'll read the rest of verse 6, 7. So at the sound of the trumpet, at the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, whatever their nation, whatever their language, they bow to the ground. They worship the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. However, we've got some problems here. We've got a divine interruption. When some of the astrologers, and that's, that's important to know who that is, went to the king and snitched on some Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. All these pleasantries, right? Um, he goes through, 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna need to breeze through it as fast as I can because I know I'm, I'm I'm running a little bit behind my time. He he says, you know, you issued that degree. You know, you told everybody to do that. I think it's here in verse 12. He says, but there were some people who did not bow. There were some people who did not bow. In fact, these are the people who you put in charge of Babylon. Okay, hold on. Let's go back. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where is this coming from? You're going back to verse chapter 2. Chapter 2, when Daniel and his friends are a part of the interpretation of the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's so happy about it, he gives Daniel and he gives these, these other guys a promotion. And remember, who were the people who were supposed to be killed because they couldn't interpret the dream? The astrologers. And now, they're looking for an opportunity for advancement. They're the same people that benefited from what these men did the chapter before, and now they're seizing an opportunity for political and financial advancement. Now they're trying to take them down. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to worship your gods. They don't worship the gold statue that you have set up. They're not, they're not even interested in it. They're not even thinking about it. So it gets a little deep. But some of the, oh, we went there. So I think it's down in verse, uh, verse 14. So here's what happens. The word gets back, and Nebuchadnezzar has a little board meeting. He says, uh, can I talk to you guys? Um, I, I've heard that you are not bowing down uh, to this image. Is there a problem? Is there an issue? Because he respects them. He respects their wisdom. He respects what they know. But the Bible says that he is furious. He is so mad. Really, verse 13 said, he flew into a rage. And here's what happens. He, verse 15, he says, I'll give you another chance. I'll give you guys another chance. You know, maybe you didn't hear it. Maybe you guys were out of town. Maybe something happened. I'm going to give you another chance. But if you refuse, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. Then he throws a little caveat. And what God will be able to rescue you from my power? See, when you're serving God, when you believe in God, when you're trying your best to allow God to lead you, there are battles in heaven and in earth that you won't have to fight. In other words, when the king said that, them's fighting words. Those, those are words... To start a battle. Wait a minute, King. Now, don't forget that just a little bit ago, God used these same people to share with you that your kingdom was going to come to an end. You got it twisted, heard the message, set your own statue up. Now you're feeling yourself. Are you getting my interpretation of this? Now you've gotten prideful, and now you're trying to make this all about you. And now you're trying to take the focus, and now you're saying, that if they don't obey you because they belong to me, that I'm gonna, you're gonna throw them in the fiery furnace. And then you add, and what God is going to be able to save you from my power. And God says, I'll show you. 
What I love about this is what I want for you and what I want for our church and what I want for our community. I want there to be a sense of resilience that says it doesn't matter, King, what you do or what you say. My mind is already made up. This is just a game of whose God is going to win. This is just a pace of I'm going to outlast you because I believe that the God I serve will get the victory no matter what the outcome is. Let me tell you what the guy said, verse 16. He's like, all right, king, break it down. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves. Man, I wish I could preach that. They said, we don't need to step in and try to make this. We don't need to look better than it is. We, we, are, we are going to allow what God has in mind as an opportunity for us to move forward. We're not going to be distracted by the fact that people that we've helped are now trying to hurt us. We're not going to be distracted by the fact that the person that we've allowed to see God's light is now turning on us. It doesn't matter. So we don't need to defend ourselves. If we're thrown into the fire, guess what? The God who we serve is able to save us. The God who we serve is able to save us. It doesn't matter if you take my house. It doesn't matter if you give me a bad medical report. It doesn't matter what the fiery trials are. When they come, I'm going to outlast. When they come, I'm going to put my faith in God. He is able to rescue us, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, verse 18, we want to make it clear to you that you will never serve, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you had up. I'm not going back to the drugs. Sorry. I'm not going back to the 3 a.m. booty call. I'm done. I'm not, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going back to that. I refuse to serve the gods that you serve because I know at the end of the day, I've got a God who comes through every single time. And if I'm burnt up in the fire, so be it. But I'm not going back. And you can't be ready for that kind of trial until you endure the trial that's here. You're not going to be ready for that until you just get through, well, when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to pray. God's like, I just need you to get started with that. I just need you to keep your Bible app open on your phone. Just keep it open just in case you run into it. Let me finish this up. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was so furious, look at this, that his face became distorted with rage. You, you don't have no reaction to that. Because this is not really, this is a dialogue. Like, did y'all read that? Like, this, this man is, okay, this king is the man. Like, there's nobody else. Like, he's the man of the whole world. And they're telling him that to his face. And he becomes unglued, completely unnerved loses his composure all he has to do is snap his finger it really doesn't mean anything in a natural way but there's something going on with him and he loses it so much that his face is distorted so this is what happens he says alright I can't take it he says go and turn up the furnace seven times hotter 
And he said, get my strongest men to take them in. Here's what's so interesting about this. He went and got people that were physically strong. Because, see, here's the thing. When you're spiritually strong, you're still a threat. He's like, I don't know how to combat this, but I'm going to get the strongest people that I know to try to constrain them because their strength seems to be super exceeding the situation. They're able to endure the more I ramp it up. He says, put the fire up, tie them up, throw them in. The fire is so hot that the people who threw them in, they're burned up. The people that are getting close to the furnace to throw them in are overwhelmed with the flames. That's how hot it is. And see, that's what you got to do. You got to let go because sometimes there are casualties. There's always casualties on the other side. People who are trying to hurt God's people always lose more than they intended to. God steps in. The Bible says they're in there in the furnace. They're tied up and the king is so mad. He's angry. Then verse 24 says, all of a sudden he jumps up. They're like, King, what's wrong? I don't understand. Look what he says. Didn't we throw three men in there? I swear we did. You guys saw that, right? Yes, Your Majesty, we did. Look what he says. Look, I see four men walking around. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know they threw three in. I know all the people that threw them in died. So where did the fourth one come from? Nebuchadnezzar's like, wait a minute. I see four men. Check this out. They're walking around in the fire. They're doing a step, a dance. I don't know what they're doing. They're shouting. They're praising God. See, God needs you to celebrate in the fire. God needs you to praise him in the circumstance. God needs you to praise him in the trial. Don't wait till it's over. Start praising right now. Walking around, they're praising. He says the fourth one. I recognize those other guys, but the fourth one looks like a God. The fourth one looks like somebody that's not human in the fire. And he yelled, they said, come out, come out. So the guys came out. Verse 27, when they, the officials saw them, here's my favorite part, this is where I'm closing. He's, verse 27 says, they looked around, they crowded, they saw him, and that a fire had not even touched them. They were in the fire, right? They were in the trial, right? You went through the divorce, right? They walked out on you, right? Your parent died, right? You lost the opportunity, right? The business folded, right? You failed the class, right? But, but they're saying, wait a minute, you were in the trial, but it didn't touch you. Look at verse 27. It didn't touch you. The fire didn't touch you. Not a hair on their heads were singed. I'm still at my church, right? Um, not a hair on their dreadlocks were singed. And their clothing wasn't even scorched. Here's my favorite part. They didn't even smell like smoke. I swear if I could, I'd run around this church and flip all 
these chairs to tell you that when God brings you out, you don't look like what you've been through. You don't smell like what you've been through. Nobody can tell that you've been through the fire. No one can tell you've been through the jail. No one can tell you've been in the hospital. No one can tell you've been through the divorce and the counseling session because God brought you out in such a way they don't even know that you went through it. I better stop preaching. I got, I got to let the Lord do I can't tell you anymore. I got to let the Lord do his work. Because I'm trying to tell you that the interruption that God has sent you is an opportunity for you to see him work. The interruption God has sent you is an opportunity for him to prove to you I'm still in charge. And by the time you get through with this, you'll say what divorce? What addiction? What bad credit score? What are you talking about? Because the God I serve can bring me out. And I don't look like what I've been through. You're looking at somebody that he don't look like what he's been through. I don't look like what I've been through. And I serve a God and I praise a God that sends me those interruptions to remind me just trust in him it's going to be good this is what I want to do as we end I want to pray for someone today and this is not this is not normal for us but as every head head is bowed and eyes are closed I want to pray for someone today to just give God the opportunity to walk through the trial with you and we're going to sing a little bit and I want to ask if there's anybody here who just needs a special prayer, who just needs something special to just slip out of your seat and come down to the front. I just want to pray with you.